Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Okay, first of all, I want to say Cubans are not ignorant. Cubans are very smart. And politically, yes, and they're politically smart. They know because they're not stupid. They do know. Okay, they just know what communists is because they lived it. They have fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers that have gone through it. Or themselves, they lived through it. Okay? So they're not ignorant. I'm Scott Bland. This is Nerdcast. I will say there is some sore spot in me when people, you know, people are very critical of Cuban-Americans as voters. Florida and the puzzle of Miami-Dade County, where Cuban-Americans helped carry Donald Trump to another win in Florida in this last election. Donald Trump and other Republicans had big gains there, partially by painting Democrats as radical leftists and socialists. You know something? You had somebody over there like Castro. We had Castro in Cuba, and you don't know how sad it is to have to leave your country. And the results have left me wondering if the most quintessentially purple state in the country, as we talked about right before the election, whether this longtime key battleground state is actually drifting red, and who's making this happen, and what's driving them. You know, I think post-election, everyone kind of wanted to blame Cubans talking about Florida and being like, it's just those Cuban-Americans. Of course, they didn't vote for Biden. Um, And I think it's obviously much more nuanced than that. Today, three of those very voices, that's right, listeners, three of those very voices to find out the more nuanced reasons behind this big shift, one of the biggest shifts of any one place in the country. I have Politico reporter Sabrina Rodriguez. So I'm Sabrina, and this is my family. At her family's kitchen table in Miami-Dade, where it all went down. Hialeah, Florida. So outskirts of Miami, very working class, very predominantly Cuban area in South Florida. (laughs) This is us at the dining room table. And how this is spinning forward in Florida, both nationally in terms of how the parties are thinking about the way they go about elections, and also how they go about talking to all sorts of different voters, particularly Latinos, particularly Cubans in Florida, like your family, Sabrina, for example. Where do you get your news from? I get it from Sabrina Rodriguez. (laughs) And also today, why Sabrina's grandmother is never wrong. Washington, what do you think? Washington, they're too old, they need new, new people, new young people, new ideas. So we have Sabrina's abuela, Diana, Diana Barrios, la abuela de Sabrina, who supports Biden, in su idioma. My grandmother came in the early 60s, post, you know, Cuban Revolution. Her aunt, Gloria Celsius, who wanted Trump to win. Um, Gloria Celsius, Sabrina's aunt. And her mother, Martha Rodriguez, who was for Biden. I'm Martha Rodriguez, Sabrina Rodriguez's lucky mom. My mom was born in the United States, raised in South Florida. My family is very... Uh, politically engaged to put it in a nice a nice package but you know a lot of uh, arguing about politics happens in my family don't take me down you know i started to kind of a format of just like asking each of them questions to keep it organized and be able to record it you know semi-smoothly okay so mom we're starting with you oh i'm so lucky <laughs> you know ultimately it evolved into my like my aunt would like raise their hand it was like school like my aunt would raise her hand and be like i have something to say next okay, <laughs> my mom, i have to talk now <laughs> my mom being like oh no give it back to me it ended up being way more civilized than i expected they only like yelled over each other like 
10 times. No, no, because you were talking about what you think about the Republicans. Now I'm take, telling I mean, you, what do I think? Yes, yes, you did. I yes, you did. Donald Trump. I didn't say about the Republicans. Bueno, so, so next question, though. What are the issues that you care about? But, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting because it kind of forced them to, to sit down and think of why they feel the way they feel about certain things that I don't think they had, like, thought critically about in the past. Who did you vote for and why? I voted for Biden. My mom is a Biden supporter. And I voted for him because I thought that at this moment he was the, pers- the person that we needed. He was a- so to hear them talk about it was interesting. But that's why I think this is a good conversation because it's some like you can't stand him, you really like him, and it shows just how like people have very different opinions about it. Like yeah, there's no way I find it hard that someone first being of of Latin descent. That's my mom, Martha. Being a woman to to vote for Donald Trump, I just can't. And I then there's plenty of women that did. And right? I yeah. So that one. Right. So pass it over. <laughs> Okay, I voted for Trump. That's my aunt, Gloria. I think Trump has got leadership. I think he's got personality. I think he comes strong as a strong leader. And I would definitely, definitely, if he's going for 2024, I will definitely vote for him again. All three of them have, like, very different views on all of this. And it, it sounds just from listening to the conversation a little bit like your grandmother is really the matriarch at the top of the family, right? Absolutely. Yeah, my grandmother runs this. I didn't vote for nobody (laughs) because I'm just a resident of this country, but I hate Trump. And I mean, I'm sure if you notice, it was a conversation of four women and my family is very much like woman dominated. I'm being honest. I hate to lie. That's one of the things I hate about him. He lies. And I'm not lying. It's just my opinion, pero that's the way it is. Everyone was a little surprised when I decided to move to Washington and cover politics. They were kind of like, don't you get enough of it at home? (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother literally has, it's not even an exaggeration to use the word literally here, will have CNN or MSNBC on all day. You love CNN and you watch them. Oh, I watch CNN since I get up in the morning. First thing I get up, get my coffee, sit down and put CNN. (laughs) That's it. And then if you go to my aunt's house, you'll see Fox News on all day. Oh, and uh, may I say, CNN is liars, liars, liars. Absolutely. So everyone has always been very invested in these issues. And yeah, and now I'm the one that gets into fights with my family where we're like, you're too obsessed with this. You're too passionate about this. (laughs) Like, really? Like, you guys are telling me that? So this, like, family dynamic of the differing opinions and kind of where all those thoughts are coming from is just especially interesting in like the backdrop of the place where where it's happening in Miami-Dade County. Yes. In Miami-Dade County, the presidential election was closer than it had been for years. Single digits close. We're talking seven percentage points. And this is a place where four years earlier, Hillary Clinton beat Trump by almost 30 percentage points there. So 22 point swing. What happened in the four years in between? And what surprised you or didn't surprise you about the result of that evolution that we saw in November? I will say I saw the energy because of being down here with the pandemic and spending more time with my family this year. Something did feel different. You know, in 2016, yes, Cubans and other Latinos down here loved 
uh, Trump and, and plenty went out to vote for him. But this time we're talking about, you know, my entire block had like eight Trump flags outside their house there. You know, it was everywhere. And, you know, you would see cars everywhere with their Trump flags, their Trump 2020 bumper stickers, really creative stuff, I gotta say. <laughs> like, I've seen life-size Trump cardboard cutout on top of a car driving through, like, South Florida. So people, there was, you know, a huge energy for him. And, you know, the reality is that he did have four years of coming down to South Florida and talking about Cuba and Venezuela and announcing new sanctions and talking about, you know, how he was the president that was going to keep out socialism from this country. That resonated. Then you add in that we had a Democratic primary with Bernie Sanders, who, you know, South Florida doesn't necessarily love him. Um, when we talk about, you know, the comments he's made before about Cuba, when we talk about, you know, him labeling himself openly Democratic Socialist. The reality is the majority of South Florida and the United States, if we're being real, doesn't really know what socialism is and doesn't really understand that. So that label was just transferred over to Joe Biden. And I don't think that there was a really strong enough effort to combat that down here. And then you add in again, you know, Trump was down here all the time. Trump was sending, you know, Robert O'Brien came here multiple times. Mike Pence came here multiple times to talk about these issues that, you know, people are passionate about. So yeah. it's it's and I don't want to reduce it to I don't want to reduce it to socialism because ultimately you ask people here about who was better for the economy. People would say Trump. If you asked people, you know, who's going to keep your business open in the middle of a pandemic when people are struggling, it was Trump. So there's a lot of factors that went into him winning that were not necessarily surprising. But I do think, you know, it was, you know, to see it play out and to see it on election night where I'm like at 11 o'clock at night scrambling to explain why Miami Cubans did this mm. and then bigger picture why Miami Latinos did this was definitely a task to really like explain it. Abuela, why do you think that so many Cubans voted for Trump? They're ignorant. For ignorance. Cubans are not ignorant. Cubans are not no, ignorant. No, but Cubans are always no, ignorant. No, but, but, but they made them believe well, that. Talk about your race They're like scared that, of the work communists. If you anything it's that has to do with so it, you think fear. that you pure think communism. that it's pure fear. You think that the talking about communism. I, you know, I think part of the reason it was so striking is because, and, and this took a few weeks to kind of hammer out because it took so long to count mail ballots in a lot of places, not in Florida, but in a lot of other places. But we're talking about an election that on the national level really just moved kind of a handful of points from where it was in 2016. And, you know, there are some places where you had a slightly bigger swing, like in Georgia and Arizona, moving like five or so points from 2016, where you've got like big fast political and demographic changes that we've been watching happen for a decade now. And then in Miami, we're talking about like a 20 plus point shift, which is just completely wild compared to what we've seen everywhere else. And yet, in this context that you're talking about, it makes sense. It's not just coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and it's not like no one saw it coming either. Maybe, maybe the degree was surprising, but not, not the fact of the shift. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously people always pay attention to Florida, its swing state status, and, 
you know, the amount of times that people talked about, you know, 2000 and Al Gore, you know, as talking about this election. I think there was a lot of concern that that was, was going to happen again. And I have to say, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I'm biased as a Floridian. I'm so happy that it wasn't down to Florida. <laughs> like, I, you know, after election night, when we knew how Florida went, you know, it went for Trump. Okay, great. Let's go. Let's move on. <laughs> we don't have to, like, talk about Florida. Nobody, you know, I, I message my friends from Philadelphia being like, you know, sucks to suck, guys. Like this, you know, now it's on you guys this time. Um, but, you know, just seeing Miami-Dade play out, you know, the the day before the election, Obama was in South Florida and he did, you know, a drive-in rally. And the energy there, you know, made me think, okay, well, maybe, you know, Biden does have a chance in the state. Because there really was a lot of reporting in the days leading up saying, you know, Biden could put up a fight and, and polling had him ahead and, you know, not by massive numbers or anything, but it really did seem that he stood a chance. So to see it come in, I think, too, for me was just by how much he lost. That was surprising. You know, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that if he had won over a few more Cubans, he would have won the state. Three and a half points probably in some other states would be like, whoa, that's a close election. But in Florida, that's a... <laughs> no, in Florida, that's a landslide. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, in Florida, that's a landslide. Well, just like the other thing that this had me thinking about is, you know, how we think about and and like how we cover as journalists and like political trends and political demography and and all that sort of stuff. Because you you mentioned Obama going down there in uh, what the day before the election, right? And Mm -hmm. the Obama years leading into the the Clinton Trump election in 2016 just saw this continuing shift, right, in Miami Dade of just like bigger and bigger Democratic margins. And there's all this talk about how the Cuban vote was shifting Democratic as the demographics of Cuban Americans in Florida changed and, and got younger and more second and third generation and so on and so on and so forth. And then and then we see this big wrench back in in 2020. And now people are talking about it's like, oh, is Florida even a swing state anymore because of of this and it just it it seems to me it like really illustrates the futility of like painting with too broad a brush not even getting into the the fact that all the broad brush painting of the the latino vote when there are so many different components of it and so different in different places but the the conversation you're having with your family really helps illustrate that right like you're 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 part of a family that has biden supporters and trump supporters kind of all coming from from the same family perspective i think politicians promise you a lot, tell you they're going to do everything, and when they get on there, nothing of what they promise and nothing what they say comes comes through. Hearing my family talk about this, like I mentioned, you know, my aunt registering to vote and voting for the first time in I don't know how many years. He will be back again in 2024, and I will vote again, and this time he will get it. You know, I think that was an example of, okay, this is different. Like, this isn't just Democrat versus Republican. This isn't just any election. Like, clearly, this is, you know, people coming through for Trump, big Trump supporters. And the reality is, you know, I did some reporting about disinformation in South Florida and just how prevalent it was leading up to the election, especially targeting Latinos. And, you know, that's some of the one of the thoughts I've had the most after this election is just how much that is going to play in to future elections and just our everyday rhetoric. Because right now in South Florida and throughout the country, it's not only a South Florida thing, but all this conversation about electoral fraud and and now all the reporting is how that's going to impact the Georgia runoffs. But taking a look at where people are getting their information and are we all even operating on the same like 
facts? Like, are we operating on the same opinions? Because my aunt and my grandmother are watching CNN together all day. The news is terrible. CNN is the worst. I don't need Donald Trump to tell me that. I got a mind of my own and I hear the news. And may I say I watch CNN hours and hours and hours and hours. Lies, lies and lies. And I definitely didn't need Trump to tell me that. And they have two completely different takeaways from what they're watching and what they're listening Mm. to. Do I think the elections were rigged? Absolutely, 100%, I think it was rigged. No, this election were fine. They didn't want him anymore. He's got to realize that. Okay, this is it. <laughs> this is it. He ain't giving up. That's why he You know stopped. something? That's you had somebody stopped. over there like Castro. We had Castro in Cuba. And you don't know how sad it is mm-hmm. to have to leave your country. And then you bring in my mom and she has a completely different takeaway. Trump is worse than a socialist. Trump is like a dictator. He's a dictator. When I hear him speak... It's like we were hearing Chavez or Maduro from Venezuela speak. And this isn't even, you know, only looking at different news sources. They could both, they could all three be watching CNN and ultimately have different opinions about what they're hearing or have different opinions about what's happening. And I think that to me is fascinating. And I am very curious to see, you know, when Trump isn't in the picture, for example, what is my aunt going to do in 2022? You know, I, I can, for example, and, and I'll use my aunt as the example here as, yeah. you know, the resident Trump supporter in my house. I voted for Trump because I felt that at this time it's the, what the country needed. Someone strong, someone powerful, someone that that would talk and people would listen to. And I felt Trump was the man to do this. She really doesn't like Ron DeSantis and she really doesn't like Mitch McConnell. Mm. How you arrive at that when you love Trump, that to me is fascinating, you know, and that to me, I'm very curious to see, you know, what happens in 2022 when, you know, Ron DeSantis is running for reelection. I mean, will she vote for him or will she not? And how will she kind of like, you know, work through that process? You brought up disinformation or or and more broadly, just where people are getting their news from and where people's political conversations are happening. So where, where do you think that goes next in terms of what campaigns do? And, and we've seen a lot of talk about Facebook and social networks like that. But there's, there's also more of a person-to-person information sharing networks that I feel like just go completely under the radar, whether it's on, on WhatsApp or, or, you know, pick your communication method. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm very curious to see how Democrats fare in South Florida, for example, post-pandemic. A lot of the blame game that I've seen happen post-election has been in part because they weren't canvassing and they weren't doing door knocking. And, you know, the argument is if you can put a face to the name and, you, you know, if you know the person, you know the candidate, then you can say... Oh, well, obviously he's not a socialist. I know him. I've talked to him. I've seen him. And and having kind of like local brand ambassadors for that kind of messaging, you know, I am curious to see how far that goes. I think another question will be the effectiveness of TV ads in all of this. You couldn't turn on. I'm like not kidding. I would sit and watch TV with my abuela, for example, and you turn on Univision and a commercial break was like, one ad for Debbie Mukasel Powell. The next one was for Carlos Jimenez. The next one was for Trump. The next one was for Biden. That's the way it is. And then we keep doing it again. Which at a at at the end point, I was like, okay, well, what what do I get from this? Like, what do I get from this if I am literally hearing like the opposing opinions back to back? Like, okay, Trump is terrible. Biden's terrible. Debbie Mukasel Powell is terrible. Carlos Jimenez is terrible. They're all corrupt. They're all terrible. So what you know? 
how do you make a decision off of these TV ads? I am very curious given just the sheer amount of money that was spent in Florida for this. You know, when we think of, you know, I am always thinking about just the fact that Mike Bloomberg has spent hundreds of millions of dollars in this election cycle and he spent it in Florida specifically to have Biden lose. So I'm very curious to see what happens going forward. One promising thing to me that I want to keep an eye on is the fact that uh, the former mayor of Miami, Manny Diaz, is running to be the chair of the Florida Democratic Party, and he has the backing of people like Mike Bloomberg. So I'm curious how Democrats, you know, move from here in Florida, because again, being a Floridian and, and wanting to believe that, you know, South Florida and Florida is very important. I don't want it to lose its swing state status. I don't want it to become a reliably red state because, you know, I want people to keep covering it and I want to keep getting all this great, you know, coverage out of it. So, yeah, so I think it's really interesting to see where parties are going to go from here. You know, I'm very curious to see, for example, Marco Rubio's reelection campaign. I'm curious if it's going to be, you know, a full embrace of Trump, if it's going to try and move to some different type of Republican messaging when you've seen the turnout and you've seen what happened this year, it's hard to picture that he's going to try and change the game after seeing, you know, the Trump's resonance down here. Where do you just see this in Florida nationally in terms of how, you know, how the parties are thinking about the way they they go about elections, how they go about talking to uh, talking to all sorts of different voters, but particularly Latinos, particularly Cubans in Florida? What do you think some of the, the early lessons people are taking from what happened in 2020 are? I mean, that's a tough question that <laughs> that I probably am mulling question. over every day. Yeah, every day since the election, I feel like I'm, I'm mulling over it. And I haven't gotten tired of reading people's analysis of Florida and people's analysis of, you know, what happened in Miami-Dade specifically, because I think every time I read it, I have another thought about it. Like, had you asked me a month ago, I, I would have talked up more, you know, the socialism side of this. And then now thinking more on it. I'm like, okay, well, defund the police was messaging that has been plenty criticized in the last month by prominent Democrats as, you know, not having helped. Do I think it helped Democrats down here? No, not at all. I think it was used, you know, well, when we're talking about communities that a big pipeline of people that work in law enforcement, ultimately, you know, those are all factors, I think, that went into this. So I don't know, going forward, I am curious to see who's going to be leading the parties and Florida. And it's very well that the Republican Party in Florida won't be led in the next two years by Ron DeSantis, but Trump himself, because Mm -hmm. he will presumably be here. Mm. Um, He will presumably be in Mar-a-Lago and I think will be very active. And I guess, you know, question mark if he's going to run in 2024 and all of that. But the likelihood that he stays engaged and involved in politics is high. The likelihood that he stays engaged and involved in Florida politics, a state that has been good to him, is high. So in that post-Trump being president world, but Trump still being in Florida world, I'm very curious to see what Biden does. As a candidate, he had the excuse that, you know, he was in a crowded Democratic primary field and couldn't, you know, focus on Florida and there were plenty of other states he needed to focus on. But as president, you know, he is going to have to navigate Cuba policy. He is going to have to navigate Venezuela policy. He is ultimately going to have to do something that will resonate with South Floridians. And yeah, so I'm very curious there and I'm very curious to see what local Democrats do. I think 
they're all kind of reeling from their losses because they've just lost a lot of prominent figures in Debbie Mukarsil Pau and Shalala and in local races too. So I think there's there's going to be a lot of rebuilding in that front. Right, like you had, you know, Jose Javier Rodriguez losing his state senate race. Uh, like I think there's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit in the way like these trends around elections work where, you know, like if you lose all your representatives in a community that makes it harder to win back that community because you don't have the people there talking and defining your brand, whichever party you are, you know, you could talk about Republicans in like big city suburbs around the country, you could talk about Democrats in rural areas, and on and on. I feel like that just makes it harder to claw back each time it happens because you're losing that that local connection of the person who who can help define the party in a way that looks and sounds like what what people there are looking for and also can talk to the, the people in washington or in tallahassee or whatever state capital they're in about it's like hey this is what my constituents want to hear you know if you don't have an elected official in that area there's no one in that meeting saying that thing absolutely so, you know, i am kind of curious to see where where that part of it goes yeah absolutely i i want to see who you know who rises up from this and who gets involved um i think you know, and also this is a long game, you know, this isn't one election, this isn't 2022 only, you know, and just seeing the plays that have to be made for a short term long game, like I'm very curious to see what Florida Democrats and Miami-Dade Democrats do from here. Like there's got to be a whole lot of, of work being done right now to figure out, you know, what went wrong and what are the strategies moving forward. Sabrina, thank you so much for giving us your time and, and your family's time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And, and I'm excited for them to, to hear this and kind of hear themselves. <laughs> bueno, mija, we have to say goodbye, good night, and God bless America. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Amund. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you like our show, then like it. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps more people find the show. And check out some of our other podcasts while you're at it. There's Politico Dispatch, Politico Energy, and Pulse Check, just to name a few. And we have a new podcast series from Politico, Global Translations. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>